You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with our sermon this afternoon dealing with the first petition in the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed Be Your Name. We have two readings this afternoon. The first is from Jeremiah chapter 32, the verses 16 through 25. We jump right into the middle of the account of Jeremiah buying a field and read there his prayer. After I'd given the deed of purchase to Barak, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the father's sins into the laps of their children after them. O great and powerful God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to all the ways of men. You reward everyone according to his conduct and as his deeds deserve. You performed miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day, both in Israel and among all mankind, and have gained the renown that is still yours." You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. You gave them this land you had sworn to give their forefathers a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They did not do what you commanded them to do. So you brought all this disaster upon them. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be handed over to the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened as you now see. And though the city will be handed over to the Babylonians, you, O sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. And we'll turn now to the New Testament, the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is, and is to come. 
Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they were created and have their being. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 47 of the Heidelberg Catechism. We're in the section dealing with the Lord's Prayer. And here in Lord's Day 47, we begin looking at the petitions that are given, the requests that are taught by our Lord Jesus Christ in the Lord's Prayer. What is the first petition? Hallowed be your name. That is, grant us, first of all, of all, that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Beloved holy ones, saints, made holy through the blood and the spirit of Jesus Christ our Lord. I'd like you to imagine with me a conversation between a 13-year-old girl, we'll call her Jill, and her father. This conversation is happening at that that special time, just before bedtime, devotion time, as this father is spending time with his daughter, leading her in devotions, recapping the day, and bringing their needs before their God in heaven. It's a time of, of safety when children are often open to sharing their anxieties and concerns with their parents, and then with the Lord. Dad, don't you ever get sick of all the sin in the world? Don't you find it heavy, like a layer of mud that's stuck to everything, so that you want to give yourself and the whole world a long, hot shower and just get rid of it all? Jill had been particularly struck by the sinfulness that existed in her world that day. She was still reeling from the reports of another school shooting. She was growing tired of hearing and seeing her friends fight and argue at school, as 13-year-old girls will do. She was troubled as she watched her parents deal with her unruly older brother, as unruly older brothers will do. And she was sorry for a particularly bad day of moodiness and attitude from herself. I do, her father replied. I think we need to do something about it. Sin is so messy and destructive. Dad, what's the opposite of sin? That's a good question. Maybe holiness? Yes. Yeah, holiness. We need more holiness in the world, don't we, Dad? 
Her father nodded in thoughtful agreement. Dad, I don't think we have enough holiness in the world. I think we need to do something about this. People don't even think about holiness. They just think about what they're doing in school or work or what they're watching on TV or what their favorite sports team is doing. I never think about being holy. My friends never think about being holy. I think we need to start holiness clubs or maybe holiness teams so that people can join and and try to become more holy. I don't know about that idea. Her father said, what? You don't think people should be holy? No, it's not that. I just don't know if starting a club or a team is going to be the right way to go about that. Well, Dad, where should we start then? Came the challenge in a way that only a 13-year-old girl can challenge her father. I don't really know, Jill. You know what we'll do? We'll pray about it. We'll ask God to help us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then followed a long silence, broken only when Jill said, Dad, I thought we were going to pray for more holiness in ourselves and in the world. Her father was quiet for a moment, finishing a thought. Jill, he said, I think we just did. Theme for this afternoon's sermon is that the Lord Jesus teaches us to pray for the holiness of God's name. And when we pray for the holiness of God's name, we are in fact asking for the holiness of God, of course, but also for the holiness of God's people and of the holiness of this whole world in which we live. So we're taught to pray for the holiness of God's name. So first of all, we ask for the holiness of God. What is holiness? Would be a good question to begin with. In that imaginary conversation that we listened into between Jill and her father, they talked about holiness as, you remember, the opposite of sin. The opposite of sin, which is true. Holiness includes the absence of sin. Holiness and sin are are totally opposed to each other. So when we speak about God's holiness, we are speaking about God's sinlessness. He does not sin. His, His absolute moral perfection. He does no wrong in any way at any time. But when we're talking about holiness also of the holiness of God, there is more involved than just the absence or the opposition of sin. Holiness can refer to that, but it also refers to being set apart. Being set apart. God's temple in Israel, you may remember, was called holy. Well, God's temple couldn't sin. It was a building. But God's temple was holy because it was set apart for the worship of God. It had this special purpose. It was set apart for that purpose. Well, God also is absolutely holy in this way. He is totally set apart. He's totally above, beyond, and distinct from everything else in this world. 
He is God, the creator. Everything else is his creation. And so he is holy, set apart. He is God. And nothing and no one else is. In this way, God and God alone is completely holy. He is the epitome of holy. He's set apart. You, you might say it like this, that holiness describes the godness of God. Holiness describes the godness of God. He's God because he's totally set apart, because he alone is God. That also describes his holiness. So when we pray for the holiness of God, we're not praying that God would become somehow more sinless, more morally upright, but that God would be more set apart and distinct and recognized by the whole universe as such. Essentially, that He would more and more be God and that He would more and more be recognized as God. That He'd be more and more praised and honored and glorified for who He is in His Godness, in His holiness as God. And that's why the catechism uses these words, sanctify and glorify and praise you. That God would be understood to be most worthy of all these things in the world. The thrust of, of the prayer becomes more clear that we, when we understand that Jesus taught us to pray that God's name in particular would become more holy, would be made holy. That's what hallowed means, to make holy. God's name refers to his identity. God's name is, is how he communicates his identity, how he reveals himself, his reputation, his character. He does that through his word. He does that through his creation. God reveals his character and reputation through his word and specifically through the works that his word records. We read from Jeremiah chapter 32. In that prayer of Jeremiah 32, he's praising all the works of God. He says, O great and powerful God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. God's name and, and the glory associated with that is connected very closely to his works, to the things that he does in this world. So that, Jeremiah says later in that prayer, by your deeds, you have gained the renown in the world that is still yours. The catechism says, grant that we may rightly know you, sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works which shine forth your holiness, your wisdom, power, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. So God's works in the world display his character, who he is, and since holiness is the crown of all his attributes, his works display, they reveal his holiness in the world. They reveal the godness of God. They reveal him to be God, to be who he is. They show why he is totally set apart and totally worthy of honor, praise, and glory. 
On Christmas Day, we looked at the Song of Mary. And that song as well, Mary talks about all the attributes of God. And she summarized the, uh, summarizes what these, these acts of God say about him by simply saying, Holy is your name. So God is known through his works. All his works in this world reveal his character. And his character is summarized by saying he is holy. Some examples. We understand what we're talking about in creation. The work of God in creation displays his holiness. Psalm 19, the heavens declare what? The glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So God's creation displays his holiness. Also, in God's punishment, the punishment that God brings on the wicked displays his glory. In Exodus 14, verse 4, as God is speaking about the punishment that he's going to bring on Pharaoh and upon Egypt, he says, I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So through his creation, through his punishment, and most clearly, through his salvation, through his work of salvation, God reveals his holiness, his glory and honor. You can think of Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says, In love, God predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. That was God's purpose in electing, saving, and causing us to persevere in our salvation. Nothing displays God's glory. Nothing displays God's worthiness of being honored more than His great work of salvation from election onward. From God's eternal election worked out by saving sinners out of mere grace, nothing in ourselves that caused us to be saved, but by His good pleasure alone, through the sending of His own Son into the world, and holding them in their salvation by His grace and power until it's complete. Nothing can come against that salvation. He holds us by His powerful hand until it's all done. It's all the work of God so that God might be understood stood to be the God of salvation and thereby the God who is worthy of honor and glory in this world. God works out salvation for the praise of his name. It all centers upon that great work that he's accomplished in Jesus Christ, his son. From beginning to work, it's the Uh, From beginning to end, it's the work of the triune God so that we can't boast in ourselves, but so that we can boast in God, so we can hallow his name. So God has created this beautiful universe. God brings his justice to bear on the wicked. God saves his people by mere grace. Why? Ultimately, For the praise of his own glory. For the sake of his own holiness. 
so that more and more creatures, great and small, will join in that song of, of the elders and the living creatures and all the angels around the throne of God that we read of in Revelation chapter 4. So that more and more all creation will join in singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And brothers and sisters, this is the great calling and privilege that we have in asking that God's name would be hallowed in our prayer. It's really astounding if you take a moment to think about it. This is God's ultimate purpose to bring glory and honor to himself. This is, above all other things, what God will do in this world. God will bring glory to his name. But yet he commands us to ask for it. He delights in having us pray for that very thing which he most certainly will accomplish. It's as though, as as one explainer has said, God were unwilling to to be gracious or to exercise dominion except in answer to the prayers of his people. This great work of bringing glory to God's name, God will do. But he will not do it without you. He will not do it without enlisting your prayers in the process. Such is his grace toward us. So asking that God would hallow his name is to ask for the highest purpose in the entire universe, the glorifying, praising, and sanctifying of God himself. And so we pray for the holiness of God. We also pray for the holiness of God's people. The purpose of bringing praise to God is not his purpose alone, but it's the purpose that he has invested his whole creation with. That's why the psalmist in in Psalm 148, for example, calls all creation, the sun and the moon and the stars and the trees to praise God. That's why they were made. They've been created for the glory of God to testify to his glory as creator, to show his awesome power and to lead people, especially to recognize God's glory within their beauty and diversity that he has given them in creating them. And so as God's creation, we human beings, people made in his image, have also been given this great purpose to bring glory to his name. That's why God has made us. That's the purpose that he has invested us with. The catechism teaches, grant first of all that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify and praise you. When we pray that God would be made holy, we're asking that he would be made holy by us. We're asking that God would fulfill his purpose in us, the glorying of his own name. You can think of that the that famous uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer. What is the chief end of man? To praise God and to enjoy him forever. Earlier, we saw that God works out his plan of salvation for the glory of his name. 
the way that God saves it is done in such a way as to bring glory to Him. That's not the only part of salvation that brings glory to God's name. But God has also saved us so that at the end of the process, or actually in the middle of the process of that saving, that we would turn and praise Him with our lips, with our lives. In that way as well, God seeks to bring glory and honor to His name. So how do we make God's name holy? Through the power of Jesus Christ, of course. How do we make God's name holy? Well, there are at least three things that we need to do in order to make God's name holy. First of all, we need to understand God. As the Catechism says, we may we need to rightly know God. We need to rightly know God in all of those attributes which display His holiness in the world. We need to understand What is God's glory? What is God's justice? What does it mean that God is just? What does it mean that God is eternal? That God is invisible? That God is all-powerful? We need, by searching the scriptures, to understand the attributes of God. Those things which make him holy. And secondly, we need to respond to those attributes. We need to celebrate that character of God. So grasp what it means that God is is glorious, that God is powerful, that God is invisible. And then respond to them with the only response that's fitting, a response of awe and worship. We need to praise God for all of His attributes, for His holiness. And so we need to pray, praising God in our prayers. We need to sing, praising God with our voices. We need to live a life of joy, as we reflected on this morning, rejoicing in the Lord who saves His people. We also need to celebrate the character of God through testimony. By speaking of His character. By speaking of His mighty works to those around us. Our loved ones, our neighbors, our world. So we need to understand the character of God. We need to respond properly to that character with praise and reverent awe and worship. And thirdly, we need to live a life that's consistent with our praise of God and consistent with who we confess God to be himself. Our life shouldn't negate our words of praise and testimony. We need to live a life that conforms to the holiness of God, that gives evidence to that saving grace of God within us. And so as the Catechism teaches God's name is hallowed when our whole life, our thoughts, words, and deeds cause God's name not to be blasphemed, but to be honored and praised. And so when you bring this all together, you realize that God's name is made holy when our lives are made holy. And so when we pray for the holiness of God's name, we're also praising, praying for the holiness of our lives. If we want to understand God better 
and and worship him more and live a life that is more fitting to his honor and holiness. What are we talking about? But the holiness of our own lives, our thoughts, our words and our deeds. Our minds need to be purified through the knowledge of God and his wonderful works. Our mouths need to be purified through praise and prayer. Our deeds need to be purified to align with the goal of expressing and praising the great holiness of our almighty God. And so when God sanctifies our lives, when God makes us more holy, he's bringing glory to himself in heaven. He's displaying his power in us. He's showing to all around us what he can do with with jars of clay with unworthy vessels, with sinners and rebels. He can take sinners and rebels like us and he can make beautiful, holy, God-pleasing lives out of them. And he draws out praise from us in that process. It's a beautiful thing that God is doing when he makes us holy to the end that his own name is holy. But that's not all he's doing. Our praise affects the holiness of his name in this world, but it also has another effect. It has an effect on all those who see and hear that sanctified, God-honoring life that we live. Yes, God is making us holy so that he might make the whole world more holy. And so when we ask for the holiness of God's name, we're also asking for the holiness of the whole world. This is taught by the catechism at the end, at the the last section there, when it says, grant that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name is not blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. And not only by us then, but by all, also by those around us. You can think of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the well-known passage where our Lord Jesus teaches, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This passage perfectly captures the the interchange between God's holiness, our holiness, and the response from people around us. As God makes us holy, others see and they respond and make God's name more holy. God uses our lives not to draw out praise just from us, but also from the whole world. Yes, from the whole world. The Lord Jesus isn't just speaking about other believers who are going to see your good deeds, but he's speaking about unbelievers. He's speaking about those who do not know the Lord. You can think of some other passages that make that quite clear. Titus 2 verse 10, for example, where Paul tells Titus, teach the slaves not to steal from their masters, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching of God our Savior attractive to them. Ultimately, therefore, that those masters who do not know the Lord may come to know the Lord and to praise Him. Or another passage which makes it perfectly clear, 1 Peter 2, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans 
that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your father, uh, glorify God on the day that he visits us. In several of his writings and teachings, the theologian and pastor John Piper makes this statement that missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions, the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth, exists because to the ends of the earth, people aren't worshiping God like they're supposed to be. And so our prayer for God to hallow His own name includes the petition for the gospel to go forth into the world. It includes the petition for the church to be that light to the world. It includes asking God that He would use us, His children, in the transforming work that He's doing in our lives to affect change in those around us. That we would be a light in the world and a city set on a hill. It's a prayer that we would live missional lives. Lives in which our neighbors can see our good deeds. Can hear our testimony. Can be led to praise God through the work that he's doing in us. So that we would live such good lives among our pagan neighbors our colleagues at work, our neighborhood communities, that the teaching of God our Savior would become beautiful to them, attractive, and that those who do not know God would in time, by the power and the grace of God, to add their thoughts and their words and their deeds to the further honor and praise and glory of God in this world. An incredible purpose that God enlists us into and calls us to pray for. And so as we pray for God to make his name holy, we're asking that God would reveal his holiness through his mighty deeds, especially his mighty deed of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're asking that we would would understand and would reflect that holiness in our lives, praising and honoring God. And we're praying that His life-changing work in us would lead to a life-changing work in the lives of our neighbors for the glory and honor of God. And so, brothers and sisters, when you're troubled by things in this world, when you have those anxieties and they're weighing heavily on you, when you realize that sin covers everything in this world like a thick layer of dirt needing a long, hot shower, the first thing that we need to do is humble ourselves before God and pray that He would hallow His own name. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, grant us that we may rightly know you and sanctify, glorify, and praise you in all your works, in which shine forth your almighty power, wisdom, goodness, righteousness, mercy, and truth. Grant us also that we may so direct our whole life, our thoughts, words, and actions, that your name would not be blasphemed because of us, 
but always honored and praised. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.